Hello and welcome to Midi's Junction with me, Anne-Marie Basada. Here in France, it's football fever once again as the Women's World Cup takes place. Group A concludes tonight with France aiming to finish top of the pile and maintain that winning habit. It's arguably one of the first years the tournament has received such widespread attention from both fans and the media, elevating women's football or soccer to some to its much-deserved place beside the men's competition. Even FIFA officials back in April said ticket sales were, quote, smashing records. Oh, she threw here, and she scored the winning goal in the Women's World Championship Final. Okay, goodbye, China. It's only the eighth time the competition has taken place, beginning with the inaugural one in 1991, hosted by China. The competition is held every four years like the men's game, and many say this year's Women's World Cup is setting the stage for the sport. And while teams from all over are competing, none this year are from the Middle East. But that doesn't mean football is dead over there, quite the contrary. In fact, just about every country in the Middle East has a women's national football team, apart from Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The oldest one was established in Iran back in 1970, though it took a break from 1979 to 2003. And the most recent team comes from Iraq in 2010. But there's still a ways to go before women's football becomes properly funded and resourced, says Hani Thaljieh, the first captain of the Palestinian national women's team. We hope that in 2023 there will be an Arab uh, football team. Uh, Jordan was actually close to qualify, but then they didn't make it uh, in the latest uh, stages. But I think this is also a message to all Arab countries, member associations that invest in your women's football because they will generate uh, more benefits to you than the men's team, believe it or not, because the men's team, the competition is high, but the women's team, it's still started, so they can compete and they can win and they can have their name uh, in, in international platforms. In many parts of the world, women's football has had a rough start. In fact, in its country of origin, England, women were banned from playing for the better part of the 20th century. Women's football became very popular in England during World War One, when the men were away at war. Um, the women began to play football for the factory teams where they worked and where they were making weapons for the war effort. Um, they were known as the munitionettes and they played games during factory breaks and formed teams to play one another. That's Rosie Matheson, the developing and marketing manager for Lewis FC women's team in England. To give you an idea of the kind of popularity of women's football at this point, on Christmas Day 1917, around 10,000 spectators watched two women's teams battling it out in the north of England. After World War I ended, women's football continued to thrive. And by 1920, there were over 150 women's sides in England. And it's sometimes been described as the golden age of women's football. In 1920, when Dick Kerr's ladies played St. Helen's ladies on Boxing Day, they pulled in a crowd of around 53,000 people. And apparently thousands of fans were locked out as well. You would imagine with such high gate figures 
that the women's game would have gone from strength to strength in England. However, the game peaked in 1921, um, and that was because in 1921, women's football was banned in England. Um, this was an initiative by football's governing body, the Football Association, or FA for short. So the FA decided to ban women's football because they feared that women's football would deter spectators from attending men's games. And also they claimed at that point that football was, to quote, quite unsuitable for females and ought not to be encouraged. It took them just 15 minutes to ban the game on the grounds that it was bad for women's bodies. So sadly, it was another half century until women's football got back on its feet. And this is one of the key reasons that it lags behind the men's game today. It took the FA 87 years to apologize for banning women from football. That was in 2008. While women haven't faced that kind of blatant opposition in the Middle East, they are still struggling to be taken seriously as professional athletes. Well, let's go back to Honey, whom we met earlier. She became the captain and the co-founder of the first women's football team in the Palestinian territories. To many, breaking one barrier is quite a feat. But to be officially recognized as the head of a Palestinian team is also remarkable, given the political context. I was born as a rebel, and uh, uh, I couldn't accept to follow the social expectations and the cultural expectations of what women or girls can do and what cannot do. And then, of course, I was born with the talent of football, and uh, I noticed that while I started playing uh, football uh, with the boys in the streets of Bethlehem. And then I thought that's a great tool I have to, you know, um, fight uh, for independence, fight for equality, fight for women's rights. Here at the Institute of the Arab World in Paris, Honey sits down with me before participating in a debate on football. Her presence is felt as she enters the room before she even says a word. There are people who speak about change, and then there are people who bring about change. Meeting her, you know she's of the latter. And that's how it all started in my mind, that we need to do something for women's football. We need to establish a women's football team because it was not possible just to play only with the boys. And I was sure that there are other girls who are same as my situation, but they want to play with the girls and girls' teams in a secure area where they are respected and where they are... Um, uh, treated good in a good environment uh, and also like opportunities. And that's when, together with my colleague at Bethlehem University, we started uh, the women's football team and then how it spread all over Palestine from that point because there was um, a culture of intimidation, you know, like uh, you need someone to break the first step in order to follow. And that, how was it? Despite of all, everyone said that it's impossible, we made it possible. And given the political situation, Honey and her team members had a double challenge ahead of them when compared to women in nearby countries. Of course, girls suffered in other places like Jordan or the Gulf or uh, Syria whatsoever. They suffered from uh, resources, cultural barriers, social religion kind of, but they didn't face the oppression and for us as Palestinian women we faced the oppression itself as well and that's what made our struggle even stronger because I always believe 
pressure is a privilege and when we are under such situations we become even more resilient and uh, more fighters to fight for freedom, for equality, for justice. And that was the message from creation of this team because we knew that we will not be at the Olympics, uh, we will not be at the Women's World Cup because the resources are very limited. FIFA's recognition of the men's national football team in 1998 gave Palestinians a sense of identity, proving that while people play for the love of the sport, sports can have a political impact. I think everything in our life is politics. When we introduce ourselves, we say, I'm from Palestine's politics. If you want to ask me, I can say I'm a citizen of the world because I like to meet people from all around the world, connect with them, respect the, the values of you know, humanity. It's important. But politics and sports, of course, it's a huge topic that you cannot separate them from each other. I mean, but in the Palestinian context, Football was much more important than the politics because football put us on the international map while, while politics, until today, Palestine is not on the map. Every time I try to book in my flight or go somewhere, I look for Palestine, I don't find it. But on FIFA, Palestine is recognized since 1998. The difficult political situation meant infrastructure was poor and players didn't have full-size pitches to practice on, but playing together as a team was already intoxicating as it set in motion women's empowerment, freedom, justice and hope. And made us believe that not the borders, not the checkpoints is our borders, but the sky is our limit and beyond those barriers. Cultural barriers, however, needed to be broken before the women could become a reckoning force. Of course it was not easy. We had to convince the girls themselves because they were also like uh, following the, the comments from the society where football is not for girls. So for them they preferred to do volleyball and basketball. And then when we presented the idea we said, okay, football has more opportunities and the most growing game everywhere. I mean, if you want to reach high levels or take an opportunity to, to travel outside the country, it's football. The girls also needed to convince their families. It was not only hard for the girls themselves to be convinced, of course, uh, the parents and the society and the critics that we had to get that football is for men and not for girls and uh, football is not feminine and uh, all these things and uh, there is no future and also there are no resources and there are no good infrastructure. But also like the political situation also played a role in that. Their parents didn't want the girls to go to play because then... We used to come back late because we are stuck at the checkpoints and soldiers stopping us and all these challenges. So there were so many factors and angles of girls not playing football. An injury put an end to Honey's football aspirations and she now works as a corporate communication manager of FIFA in Switzerland. But that hasn't stopped her from doing what she can to make sure the girls and women back home have more support for football. I am helping whether I'm in the country or without. So um, I am in Zurich and I still support my team and connect it with the federation and uh, find opportunities for the girls. So uh, I don't have to be there physically to, to give support. Support you can give from everywhere and you can connect them with different international clubs and organizations to ensure that they continue with the work. So um, maybe one day I'll be back, yes, because uh, Palestine is my country and 
uh, it's where I belong and it's what I fight for. My family is there, my friends are there. But it's easier somehow to be right now outside the country in terms of free of movement and delivering my messages more, traveling more often in the country is limited, free of movement, uh, traveling is a challenge, uh, uh, everything is a challenge there. So my message will be more heard if I'm outside the country. Elsewhere, women's football is slowly reaching its full potential, but it's still a struggle. After the ban was lifted in England, the women's game still suffered from a lack of resources, says Rosie. Only in the last two decades that resources have been channeled into the women's game. And, I mean, the available evidence suggests that given equal resources and coverage, the demands for women's football would be just as strong as for men. Um, They also, many women play in separate stadiums from the men, and that is because some of the women are sent off to inferior sites and inferior stadiums. So that needs to change as well. I think the most pressing issue is that financial resources and media attention needs to be given to women's football. For Honey, women's football is now finally making its mark, both back home and ultimately all around the globe. Yes, of course, we could do much more. It's a step forward for a better future, but we are on the right track. Uh, Of course, we're talking about equal pay as well. It's a big topic at the moment. Yes, indeed, women should take as equal as men because that's how it should be. But it takes time to make this happen. Uh, And it's not just uh, one day, one night, things will change. And in in the end, nothing worth having uh, comes easy, right? So uh, still the struggle is there. The fight is rare. The road is still rocky. But there are so many inspiring women who are fighting for equality, fighting for their rights. And they are standing up and they are courageous enough to raise their voices up. And that's what we want to see more, women standing up for their rights without fear and without uh, hesitation. That's it for this month's edition of Mini's Junction with me, Anne-Marie Bassada. This podcast was mixed by Nicolas Doreau and edited by Amanda Morrow. A special thank you to Rosie and Hani for their time and to the Institut du Monde Arabe for their organization. If you like this month's podcast, remember Mini's Junction comes out every month on the last Saturday. To be sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to RFI Mideast Junction on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate it if you've enjoyed what you've heard. It helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be with you again next month.